You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Riffs and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast. We go to the many 5e books and talk about various rules and enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riffwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riffwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about vampires. <laughs> Nathan, what is a vampire? Uh, like a dead guy is only mostly dead. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I can't ever not make that joke when I have the opportunity. Princess like a, like a, like a, like a, like a Batman, like a, like a Batman, I guess a man who's a bat. No, that's man bat. Different character. Oh, right. Right. A Batman. Also a different character. Fuck. Like a, like a count. Sometimes. Oh, actually, quick tangent on that before we really do dive into things. This is something that always amuses me. So we did talk a lot about nobility in the last month. So count is actually one of like the lowest titles because a count only rules over a county, hence count. So like the idea of Count Dracula being like, you know, powerful ruler, like yeah, you know, vampire powerful, but like his actual political power was pretty insignificant. And I just always found that pretty funny. So like the guy that Dracula is based on, you know, Vlad Tepes of Wallachia, like that guy had way more like political power than the character Count Dracula, which is, is just funny to me because, I mean, he was prince of that entire area, but Count Dracula, not so much. Anyway, sorry, that's just a history nerd tangent. But Vlad Tepish, terrifying, terrifying man. But anyway, vampires in fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. So we actually did talk about them a little bit way back in Epic Monsters. But I mean, they're vampires. They absolutely deserve to have a full episode just dedicated to them. So, Nathan, what can you tell me about vampires in 5th edition? They're, they're not very good. How come? 
I don't know. <laughs> you didn't do your homework again, didn't you? What was this homework you speak of? <sighs> See me after class. In all serious seriousness, there are actually quite a few different varieties of vampire now in fifth edition like they have just kind of introduced a few more here and there like the most you know well-known source of course would be curse of strahd i mean strahd von zarevich is is dnd dracula like there is no ifs ands or buts about that fact the problem though a vampire is a terrifying creature to us in you know on earth but that's just because we don't have you know magic or superpowers for ourselves so a vampire is so much more powerful than we are in D, that's really not the case so Will a vampire just annihilate commoners by the dozen? Yeah. Will it cause like a potential TPK amongst, you know, low to mid-level parties? Yeah, it it can. But like a vampire to, you know, either a particularly well-built mid-level party or just to any high-level party, it is nothing. It just does not have like the potential to really contend with any like significant amounts of power and that is unfortunate to me because for me just my opinion is that in dungeons and dragons part of the fun of the game is to get to confront you know these scary creatures from our mythology and vampires are a significant mythological creature in our world so the fact that it is relatively you know mid-range as a monster is just kind of unfortunate in my opinion so before i go just too deep into the analysis side let's actually talk about the actual stats of the classic you know vampire stat block so this is just the normal one that just from the basic rules even so it is a 13 CR creature, which is actually pretty goddamn significant. The problem that I have, well, besides just the fact that CR is dumb, is that I don't think that that vampire actually is a great like representation of like CR 13. Like it uh, like I think that they actually gave it like too high a CR for for that. So as a reminder, Beholder, also exact same CR 13, but a Beholder has so many more like potentially combat abilities and ways to stay alive, even compared to a vampire, which we'll, I'll get into more of that once I go over the stats here. So it has a natural AC of 16. So even a vampire that is not wearing any kind of armor is still going to have a 16 AC. However, uh, it does also have 144 hit points, which is honestly pretty goddamn good. Like, that is a solid amount of hit points. Speed of 30 feet. So that's something that I find to be somewhat odd, because a large part of, or not part, but like a large number of myths about vampires is about them being like supernaturally quick. 
So they do try to cover that by having one of the vampire's legendary actions be the ability to move its speed. But that doesn't change the fact that it still has a base speed of 30 feet. So if you have a monk in your party, your monk is going to be faster than a vampire. And that just shouldn't be at mid levels, in my opinion. But that's the stats is written. So vampires do have one very interesting aspect to their stats, which is that their strength, dexterity and constitution all automatically become 18. Unless, of course, the stat was already higher before it was transformed. So there is actually like a vampire template where you can technically just like make something into a vampire by just kind of giving it the stats and you know abilities of a vampire. Uh, anyway, uh, it does have saving throw proficiencies. So a lot of creatures just don't get like proficiencies in a lot of things, but a vampire gets dexterity saves, wisdom saves, and charisma saves, as well as in the skills, perception, and stealth, which checks out. Uh, they also get resistance to necrotic damage, as well as bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage from non-magical attacks. So hurting a vampire with non-magical weapons. So if you do just have like the typical, you know, mob of villagers, it's going to just do half damage, which makes it again that much more dangerous for non-adventurers. Uh, one kind of nifty thing. They do have the shape changer trait where they can turn into a bat, a cloud of mist or back into its regular form. And, you know, a more powerful vampire like Strahd also gains the ability to turn into a wolf as well. So that's nifty. Uh, as a legendary creature, of course, it does have th the usual three legendary resistances a day. It has legendary actions. So that's all normal. Uh, what is kind of cool, though, so a vampire, I did mention that it has, you know, 144 hit points, but the thing is, there are a lot of creatures that have a lot more than that. So vampires are slightly squishy, you know, for a legendary creature, but it has two things that can massively help its survivability. The first thing, of course, being regeneration. A vampire regains 20 hit points at the start of its turn, as long as it has at least one hit point and isn't in sunlight or running water. If the vampire takes radiant damage or damage from holy water, this trait doesn't function at the start of a vampire's next turn. So a vampire that gets in trouble, if it's able to just run away and use its legendary actions to just try to, you know, hide from the party, if the vampire can just hide for a couple of turns, even if it is, you know, brought down to like a handful of hit points, it can, you know, charge back into the attack at full health, potentially, if it's just able to get away for 30 seconds or so. So if, you know, a vampire, yeah, five rounds would give it 100 hit points back. So that is really fucking dangerous. But there's also another thing that it has called Misty Escape. So 
I mentioned that it can turn into a cloud of mist, but it also has this extra ability where if it drops to zero hit points outside of its resting place, it automatically can just transform into that same cloud of mist instead of falling unconscious, as long as it isn't, again, in sunlight or running water. So it can just turn into mist and just try to fly away. And again, that is really cool because cloud of mist, like even if a door is closed, if it could just like fit through a keyhole or underneath the door or like through a crack in a wall or a broken window, like that's a really cool thing because most monsters, you know, do just typically die at zero hit points. So this ability to let it try to escape when it gets to zero hit points, like really is actually a pretty significant ability. But anyway, so I mentioned sunlight and running water, and that takes us to a vampire's weaknesses. Like, typically speaking, a vampire does have, like, a few classic weaknesses. So uh, I'll, I'll give the numbers in a moment. So besides the ones that I mentioned, Nathan, can you name any vampire weaknesses? Uh, I think it's uh, running water, um, stakes, silver, perhaps. No, that's where um, it was. Oh, okay. Uh, you can't see them in mirrors, so you can tell. Actually, if that's someone's not a, a thing in fifth edition, oddly enough. Huh, that's weird. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it like a major part of their missiles? I mean, uh, debatable. It's definitely a, a part of certain vampire mythos, but I can't say for sure that it's part of all of them. But anyway. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, that's most of them. So, stake to the heart. Yeah. What is kind of cool. So there are different types of vampires. So there is like the the vampire itself, which is, you know, legendary creature, yada, yada. So that's the one we're talking about now. But there is also the weaker vampire spawn. So a vampire spawn dies if it gets staked to the heart because, yeah, it's destroyed. And that's, you know, part of the lore. But this more powerful vampire is just incapacitated or paralyzed, rather, until the stake is removed. So it, it does not just, like, turn to dust and be destroyed like a weaker vampire would. Also, sunlight hypersensitivity. The vampire takes 20 radiant damage when it starts its turn in sunlight. Also, while in sunlight, it has disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks. So there is one oddity here on the vampire stat block. You would think that even besides the sunlight, that a vampire might have a vulnerability to radiant damage, but it does not. And yeah, that, that's weird. It is only sunlight specifically that causes that harm to the vampire. Radiant damage is just a normal magical damage type as far as vampires are concerned. Like, honestly, well, we'll, we'll talk more about that when we get to the homebrew angle, but put a bookmark there. Running water. This is something that is just like a part of some vampiric lore. But honestly, this is one that just is less interesting to me, which is just that a vampire takes 20 acid damage if it ends its turn in running water. OK, so it can't cross like a wide river. You know, the ocean would be definitely be problematic. But like a moat, you know, and just like small sources of water or just like a thin enough river like I, I just don't find that one to be particularly interesting but i'll admit that's just personal bias 
However, I mean, it's also- kind of weird, isn't it? Like, from what I understand in fiction, normally this is like a pretty hard rule for most undead, which is like, you, you cannot cross running water at yeah. all. Yeah, but in this, it's just ending your turn in it like you'd think that would be sucks. the kind if it's if you enter or start your turn would make more sense but only if you end your turn they they, they really just didn't write that one super well in my opinion like it should just be you take that acid damage yeah if you just enter or start your turn in running water but whatever that's just unfortunate writing but anyway there's one more weakness that they have that honestly is an underappreciated one in my opinion because it's really interesting to think about like how this can come up in your game and that's it's called forbiddance the vampire can't enter a residence without an invitation from one of the occupants i like this one because this is that situation where you have the vampire just like lurking outside either just trying to wait for someone to just leave on their lonesome to pick them off or whether you have the more kind of charming vampire that's trying to just like convince someone to let them in and i I just i really like that one but it's also interesting because a lot of the time if you have like significant amounts of vampires in your world then you can have the situation where you know a player might just want to be a vampire or they do just get bitten and turned so dealing with a player character vampire and having that forbiddance weakness is interesting because then you have the entire party have to try to figure out how do you deal with that situation where they can't just enter a place like a residence without an invitation so like do you would it count if like you know the party gets hired and they go to a place and then like the rest of the party heads in and then like when they're across the threshold does that count as an occupant to just like turn to your other friend and just like hey come on in we'll get this you know job done like does that count does it have to be the owner like this is one of those where like dm interpretation can matter a lot and is just interesting in just like the implications of how that kind of thing could work just specifically for your own worlds so like usually like my personal interpretation of that is that it's supposed to be just you know someone who like lives or works there like like not so your friend just can't just like wave you through that easily but but yeah but then you have like the charming type of vampire and just like having them try you know invite me in i promise it will be a very pleasant experience (laughs) what you want to go in for (laughs) that's such a weird way to phrase it (laughs) (laughs) oh yes um i'm here to deliver the uh the bread rolls (laughs) well what can i say normally a wolf cannot consent but there are benefits to having sex with a shape changer remy (laughs) yes nathan i I question you about your you sometimes i mean come on if you have a magical world there's gonna be a lot of kinky shit. 
you're probably not wrong <laughs> i know i'm not wrong like honestly like that's the reason that we did episode 69 sex magic is because it would very obviously be the, be a thing <laughs> but anyway uh, man that was a fun one so now let's actually go to a vampire's abilities in combat and this also is a massive part of why i find vampires to be underwhelming so they do have multi-attack as long as they're in their vampire form at least which is they can make two attacks but only one can be their bite so they do have an unarmed strike as well as their bite attacks so okay sure so their unarmed strike 1d8 plus 4 bludgeoning damage and they can choose to not deal damage but just immediately grapple the target and that is important because you can only bite a creature that is either willing or grappled incapacitated or restrained so they do have that multi-attack so if the first one succeeds they can grab and then use the second one to bite but still that bite attack is only 1d6 plus 4 piercing damage and then also 3d6 necrotic damage so altogether then so for a full turn using both attacks like to just get that bite to connect that's still 46 plus 4 that is not a significant amount of damage like that's honestly a bit disappointing <laughs> however the bite does have a very, very neat effect to it as well. The target's hit point maximum is reduced by an amount equal to the necrotic damage taken, and the vampire regains hit points equal to that amount. The reduction lasts until the target finishes a long rest. The target dies if this effect reduces his hit point maximum to zero. A humanoid slain in this way and then buried in the ground rises the following night as a vampire spawn under the vampire's control. Now, the damage is garbage, but that effect is amazing. So, not only does the vampire get healed by that necrotic damage, but the hit point maximum reduction are you aware of the significance of that mid-combat nathan yeah like um hit point maximum reductions can mean death if you if you get it low enough well that too but i mean just like mid-combat what other effect that has you can't heal up to max exactly like, max. like let's say you have a player character that has 30 hit points let's say you know so no, not a particularly high level, but let's just say for the sake of argument. Okay, so let's just say this person is bitten, and then, okay, let's just say the vampire rolls well on its necrotic damage. So let's say that, you know, out of that potential 18, let's just say he gets 15. Just rolls real well on those D6s. So that would mean then that even though they normally would have 30 hit points, that they cannot until their next long rest heal above 15 maximum for their hit points so such a person could be killed pretty easily by like three bites like just taking the average damage three bites just would flat out 
kill a person killed by that or a person bitten by that. So it does also have the ability to charm. And what is also pretty interesting about this is that this charm ability is not quite the same as like the charm person spell. So it is, you know, a humanoid only charm, but it's a DC 17 wisdom save. However, the charm target regards the vampire as a trusted friend to be heeded and protected. So normally, charm person is just considered as a friendly acquaintance. But this is specifically trusted friend to be heeded and protected, which is interesting. But it even still goes farther. The target isn't under the vampire's control, but it takes the vampire's requests or actions in the most favorable way it can and is a willing target for the vampire's bite attack. Each time the vampire or vampire's companions do anything harmful to the target, it can repeat the save. Otherwise, the effect lasts for 24 hours or until the vampire is destroyed or is on a different plane of existence or takes a bonus action to end the effect. So this is a far more powerful and versatile charm effect. Also, because of the fact that it is an ability and not a spell, this would not be able to be counterspelled. But also just the fact that it lasts for 24 hours. So, and also a lot of similar types of abilities, like if you do succeed on the save, then you might be immune for 24 hours to a similar effect. Like a lot of abilities have something like that. This doesn't. So if you're able to just get charmed again, you're in trouble. And if the vampire does just like charm someone and then just like not attack them, like a vampire can charm any number of creatures. It can charm one at a time. But like if you do just have a smart vampire, a smart vampire, which again, any old vampire should just use this type of strategy. Like a vampire should never be in direct combat unless something has gone terribly wrong. A vampire should just try to find just the individuals who are most dangerous to it and just charm them one at a time until the entire party just has a new best buddy and of course you know to leave them alone and you'll leave him alone and sure he might just nibble on the townsfolk now and then but hey everybody's gotta eat right and hey this guy's your friend it's fine like the fact that they do spell out that you take their actions in the most favorable way you can this is a terrifying ability if used correctly and a massive problem that i have just with fifth edition vampires most dms don't use it correctly most dungeon masters just have see vampire fight vampire kill vampire and that just shouldn't be the case a vampire ought to be played as like the mastermind type of villain they should never get into direct combat a vampire's charm should be its first second and third plan always but it just isn't played that way most of the time <sighs> anyway 
Uh, moving right along, they also have an ability called Children of the Night. Once a day, the vampire magically calls 2d4 swarms of bats or rats, as long as the sun isn't up. While outdoors, the vampire could call 3d6 wolves instead. The called creatures arrive in 1d4 rounds, acting as allies of the vampire and obeying its spoken commands. The beasts remain for one hour until the vampire dies or until the vampire dismisses them as a bonus action. Hey, Nathan, what is the combat significance of that ability? Action Academy. Yay, you got it. Action Academy. Wolves are... Like, a really underappreciated... Well, that's not true. They are an appreciated creature in D&D for good reason. An individual wolf has only 11 hit points. However, they also have that ability, Pack Tactics, which gives them advantage as long as they just have an ally next to the thing that they're attacking. And given the fact that the wolf's bite can knock a creature prone, as well as dealing 2d4 plus 2 piercing damage, so if you're summoning 3d6 wolves, like, again, just consider, you know, the middle ground of that. Like, let's say they do just summon nine wolves, nine wolves, that's 99 hit points of other creature, nine rolls potentially with advantage against various creatures, potentially dealing 2d4 damage and potentially knocking it prone. That is not to be underestimated. Because action economy fucking matters. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so now let's move on to the legendary actions. The usual, uh, it has three able to take one at the end of another creature's turn. Like I mentioned at the start, they can move with one legendary action. They can make an unarmed strike as a legendary action. And for the cost of two legendary actions, it can make another bite attack. So given the fact that it does have three per round, you can definitely have the vampire just use unarmed strike to grab on, you know, the end of someone else's turn. 
and then at the next turn, use its other two to make a bite. So technically speaking, it is possible for a vampire to get in two bites per round and potentially just one actually combative unarmed strike. So even with all of that, though, okay, so let's say that the vampire grabs on turn one and then just a couple of rounds later, the most that a vampire can do in a full round, assuming they've already grabbed someone, is two bites and two unarmed strikes. Just one on their turn and then one with a legendary action. So all of that put together would be two unarmed strikes, would be 2d8 plus 8, and two bites would be uh, 2d6 plus 8 piercing and 6d6 necrotic damage. So that isn't terrible actually when you do put all of that together especially if you do consider that you know that 66 necrotic is also reducing hit point maximum and healing the vampire as well but it really just isn't an epic creature really like it just isn't a particularly powerful creature however that is the normal vampire there are more so there does exist a vampire spellcaster and a vampire warrior in the monster manual. They gave us some extra vampire options. So the vampire warrior gets plate armor to give it that nice bump to 18 AC, not to mention just wielding a great sword to deal 2d6 plus 4 damage per attack. But otherwise, it's not terribly different. The spellcaster, on the other hand, like it is well, well known at this point that I love me some magic. However, a vampire spellcaster is disappointing. It doesn't have a lot of the kind of combat oriented spells. It has the more, you know, sneaky bad guy mustache twirling villain type of spells like it has dominate person, greater invisibility, animate dead, you know, uh, sleep, fog cloud, detect thoughts like so it does have like the kind of classic abilities of a mythological vampire, but it still isn't really that much better in combat, which is disappointing. So on the other hand, what if we go right up to, you know, the big guy himself, Strahd? I'm curious, Nathan, do you have any idea how powerful Strahd is compared to a normal vampire spellcaster? Uh, pretty strong. <laughs> Incorrect. Strahd? has goddamn near the same fucking stats as a, you know, normal vampire spellcaster. Wait, so he's fucking nobody? He's got no difference, really. Like, no significant difference to his stats. Like, the only difference is that, like, as a his shape changer trait lets him become a wolf as well as a bat. So he gets that extra choice. But also just the difference is that his intelligence is a 20 compared to a normal vampire spellcaster's 17. But he's got the same AC. He's got the same hit points. He's got the same speed. He's got the same actions. Uh, 
Um, he might have like one or two additional spells, but even then it's not significantly different. He just gets uh, animate objects and scrying instead of some other stuff. Uh, he does get fireball, so that's something at least. So he actually gets a goddamn attack spell, unlike the spellcaster. But his actual stats are pretty much just the fucking same. Same legendary actions. The only other difference is that unlike other vampires, as a boss monster, Strahd does also get layer actions. So layer action on initiative count 20 he can take a layer action uh bah, 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 bah. he can pass through solid objects potentially uh he can magically lock doors he can summon a specter to aid him in combat uh or he can also uh target a creature to detach its shadow to fight for him so some cool abilities to be fair but not a whole lot, mechanically speaking. Uh, again, though, if you are playing like in Curse of Strahd, then he does also have uh, extra damage reduction item, a thing called the Heart of Sorrow. But uh, in case you do ever actually play Strahd, I don't want to spoil how that stuff works too much. But I'm honest, though, Strahd's actual stat block is pretty disappointing. It's, for the most part, just a couple of different spells and the layer actions, but everything else is pretty much the same. Oh, uh, I did miss one uh, other vampiric ability, excuse me. So all of the vampires I've mentioned so far also have spider climb, which lets them uh, climb difficult surfaces, including upside down on ceilings without having to make an ability check. So very useful for being just sneaky inside a creepy mansion and such. But yeah, so we did talk about potential ways to just make a vampire more interesting back in that Epic Monsters episode. So, Nathan, what were some of the ways we talked about and just how to make a more powerful vampire? I think it was uh, something along the lines of, um, well, uh, fuck, I can't remember. Well, just what are ways that would make a more powerful vampire? I mean, the obvious one would be just up, up its regeneration more but that that's a bit broken at times so i would say um how i would do it is have the have have the um vampire maybe the bite do a bit more damage or be more significant because currently as is um especially when going up against some like so players above a certain level it's very difficult to hit a point where they feel the danger of that um bite affecting them um and that could be uh certain additional things that you could add to that bite um say if it didn't actually kill them but that would affect them in a in in some sort of way that would create a situation where it's like oh shit i've been bitten by a vampire this is dangerous mm-hmm so actually, before I do talk into souping up the vampire, you just reminded me of something that I should talk more about, which is getting turned into a vampire. So when a vampire does kill someone with its bite, it rises the next night as a vampire spawn under the vampire's control. So this is another just kind of up to DM interpretation bit, because a vampire spawn is far, far more powerful than a commoner so 
if you do have a smart vampire that does just like kill some townsfolk and just keep certain of them as a vampire spawn, then the spawn is under their control permanently. And by rules as written, at least, there is no limitation on how many it can have under its control. It is permanently under its control. It is very, very interesting, but also potentially a dickish thing from like the gameplay perspective. So if you have a party that fights a vampire, how would you treat that if the vampire is successfully able to kill a member of the party with a bite? I mean, it is quite difficult considering they are a party member. So like, it really is a case-by-case basis, honestly. But if it's in the scenario where it's okay for the party member to die, have it be so that the part, the, the basically either sort it out to be so that you control the character um, as a spawn or give the player the option to um, control the character, making sure that they understand that they are working towards what the vampire um, asks of them in that form in the meantime, like as a way to have them occupied in the meantime mm-hmm. before they that, get their new character. And that really does sum up just the dilemma of that scenario. Technically speaking, like, well, not technically, but a lot of people make the argument that just like once a character is turned into an undead, that they become an NPC under the Dungeon Master's control. I have made my stance on that well known that I hate taking away just player agency. So I personally hate that. So I would usually lean to one of two other situations, either option A, which is just have the player just, you know, I agree to just, you know, just follow the orders of the vampire because as a reminder, a vampire is supposed to be a very smart old creature. So the smart thing to do is to not control the you know allied vampire and to just basically use them to lure either the entire party or just another member of the party to try to like get all of them turned potentially. And then you might just have an entire vampire party, which could be kind of interesting with the vampire potentially even acting like as a patron and just use that to kind of lean into an evil campaign. However, option B, there is a little known detail that is very important here. So the vampire can choose to release a a vampire spawn from its control and the vampire spawn becomes free willed when their creator dies. So that gives two additional additional paths that a party could have available to either like blackmail or force the vampire to just release, you know, their friend or to try to kill the vampire, like while their friend might be actively fighting against them, trying to protect it, because if they can kill the vampire, then their friend would then just be just, you know, under their own control again. So. That creates some very interesting story opportunities to me. And any of those options, to me at least, are far more interesting 
to play out in game than just taking away the player's character sheet and making them roll someone new because creating that kind of dilemma and where it is very actively under the player's control which route they want to take just makes for better gameplay in my opinion at least uh one thing that is worth mentioning though so regeneration is an incredibly powerful ability in i mean honestly all history of DD. regeneration is awesome so just the ability to get regeneration is something that some min max players like do consider to see like if their dm might just allow it just to you know get you know themselves or the party turned to vampires so there is one kind of odd thing about just the way that vampires are written here which is there is nothing written about the thirst how much blood does a vampire need to survive and how much blood can a vampire consume there is zero information in fifth edition about numbers related to that so i personally am fine with the idea of if a player character wanted to accept that kind of trade-off then okay well this is how much blood you need you know you can only store this much if you do go without it is an escalating dc to just keep control of yourself or go on a blood rampage good luck i sure do like myself a blood rampage (laughs) (laughs) i am sure you would but again just creating a cost to the benefits of vampirism because i'll be honest like the the weaknesses as written like i said earlier for the most part they're just not as interesting to me so having a player have to deal with like the actual the thirst to me at least is one of the more interesting angles that can be taken but also like in a high magic world a lot of that would be able to get dealt with in other ways so I don't remember what it's called offhand, but there is like, I want to say a magic eye patch that was originally made for drow to deal with their sunlight sensitivity. So like, so there is precedence for there being magic to help mitigate some of these effects. So having, you know, vampire get their hands on either that or just something like it that you might homebrew, like makes it a little bit like easier from the party perspective because the whole vampire sunlight issue is a pain in the ass. I tell you this from personal experience because I have had a vampire in my party before. So again, though, I am a very high magic DM. So I was, I allowed a magic item to help mitigate that. But now let's actually transition more over to how to make vampires more interesting though. So first things first, I did already mention it, but it just bears repeating. A vampire should just be vulnerable to radiant damage. The fact that it isn't is just kind of silly to me. So also, I like the idea of there being like tiers of vampire. So you have like the vampire, the vampire spawn. And I, I think that there should be a like a monstrous vampire. Like to have that, you know, Dracula type, but who is just a monstrously powerful vampire. And the reason I do keep using the word monstrous is that there are certain vampiric lores where a vampire is able to also shapeshift 
into a monstrous form where it is like, you know, traits of like bat and wolf. And it is just this like large, monstrous form. And to me, something like that actually would really help solve a lot of the issues that I have with the vampire. Because if you have this, you know, you know, master vampire, vampire, lord, whatever you decide to call it yourself. Okay, if a vampire gets to that point, then you know, they shift into, you know, like you could even make it a, just a large creature with a fly speed, you know, let it have like bat wings and like go, go monstrous, go full monster with it because it's cool. But then also like a vampire has resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, slashing that's non-magical. Like I would say that the vampire, like the master vampire should just get that upgrade to immunity to non-magical because that makes a pretty significant difference in just what that vampire would be willing to fight, but also just the kind of strategies that it might use. Because technically, a regular vampire is still vulnerable to fall damage, which just feels silly to me. Like, a vampire shouldn't die from falling off of something high. Like, that's ridiculous to me. I, I, <laughs> it's just like, okay. So I'm up here in my tall tower. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's time to turn into bat form. Oh shit! It didn't recharge. <laughs> it just fucking falls off and dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So by upgrading, you know, the master vampire to have immunity to non-magical, you know, to those non-magical damages, then okay, it is now immune to fall damage. So then you can also have just like vampire you know, jump off of some very high place and just like superhero landing and just like have that kind of badass introduction. But also like by having that more monstrous form, you can just up the damage of it significantly, you know, make it a large creature to boost the damage even more for that. And then you give it both ability in melee combat, you give it a reason to actually enter melee combat because it's good at it. So, yeah, just making like, this monstrous vampire just that alone fixes so many of the problems. Because, again, like the vampire as written, like it, it points DMs to make it enter melee combat, but it really shouldn't. Because, again, vampire should just be using its charm first, second and third. <laughs> And then hide and make another plan, and then enter melee combat. Combat should be like at least fifth on the list, if not farther, depending on how paranoid the vampire individual is. <sighs> but like you were talking about, though, the regeneration is a very important detail of the vampire. So to tweak that would also be a relatively easy way to just make it more dangerous. So one thing that'd be pretty cool too. So to upgrade you know, the, the amount of regeneration. But also, a more powerful vampire, I would say, should have different or tweaked abilities. So instead of giving it, you know, the resistance to damage like I was talking a moment ago, give it immuni- that immunity, but also give it that vulnerability to radiant damage. Because then, again, it's a trade-off. Because it does get stronger in other ways, but by like embracing the dark magic, it then becomes, you know, literally vulnerable to radiant. But you can also choose, though, that, OK, maybe as another thing. So you give it just the full on vulnerability, 
but then it's regeneration. Let's say it only is halted by radiant damage and that holy water like isn't affecting it anymore because that actually is something that happens in a lot of vampiric lore. Like you'll see these uh, these types of monstrous vampires do exist in vampiric lore and a lot of them do just show off by just like, you know, letting themselves get splashed by holy water, but then, you know, they're just fine because they're just that fucking powerful. So to lean into that aspect of vampiric lore just makes them more of a badass. So also spellcasting. So if you have a centuries old vampire who is, you know, a master vampire now, the idea of it only being a ninth level spellcaster is ridiculous to me. So if you really did want to like limit its ability to use magic, like instead of making it like an intelligence based spellcaster, treat the vampire more like a warlock then. Okay. So it mostly uses up to fifth level spells then, but, you know, it might be able to recharge a little faster, which, to be fair, works for me for that kind of boss monster. So just give it levels in Warlock. So then you might also let it just have more hit points to survive. So you've got more hit points, more melee combat ability, more spellcasting ability. And like, I'll be honest, like, yeah, you can make the choice to give it all of these things. You could make the choice to give different vampires different abilities. Like maybe you do just have a vampire who specializes in melee combat who like imagine you just have like some again, just monstrous form, but like they just live in that form and don't even use their humanoid form anymore. And they just have just like, you know, plate armor just made for that form so it just has that ac boost you know maybe it just has you know i don't know dual spiked maces or something just give it you know powers give it gear because like i'll be honest also like old creatures the idea that none of them use magic items for themselves when a party of adventurers will typically all have a magic item by the time they're like sixth level is dumb. Let your bad guys use magic items. They're in world like unless you got a real low magic one. They're there. So the fact that they don't use them, which is just silly anyway. So that is a lot on the mechanics. So how would you actually use vampires in the world, Nathan? I would generally use them as prominent people at certain specific locations and areas that they have strong control over um, in general. So, for example, a veteran in my world would be a location where there would be some places within that area where vampires would have control over because uh, it's a more necromancy focused um, land and heads off like it, they, they would fit right in yeah so what's your opinion though about like the more just like the ravenous types of vampires that exist in some lore compared to like the noble vampire i think both can exist absolutely and that is just a point i want to emphasize like i admit i have my personal bias to the noble vampire i think that those are cool but the idea of there being like the feral vampires who are just stuck in their bloodlust also makes for a very interesting encounter because 
you might have just that kind of tweaked expectation. Like you might have, like you might start like the introduction in the session, like just describing this castle, describing, you know, this nice, you know, furniture, nice paintings on the walls. But then they, like they meet the guy and, like and the vampire themselves is just like on the edge of control like constantly staring at the necks of you know your characters and like you can like really do just like lean into the idea that like oh okay no no this is not the typical like this guy is a hair's breadth from just snapping and lunging at the nearest neck you know and just subverting expectation has no (laughs) self-control Yeah, I mean, like, maybe there is the situation of just, like, there is a ghost town, and the only light that you can see is the castle at the top of the hill. So, like, maybe this vampire did just lose themselves to bloodlust, like, years ago, and now they, they just ate the entire town. Like, like I, I imagine that, like, like to, to just let it sink in, they were a respected member of the community. Everyone knew they were a vampire, but, like, they didn't do anything too bad. Like sure, like they they would like um request prisoners who did horrible shit. He's like like that. That was pretty much it. But then one day they they um it was like uh they they ran out of people to feed on and they were, they were very hungry. So uh, uh <laughs> fucking killed everyone. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And then just like this could be you know two years after that fact, and then this vampire is just starving. And they're just like trying to just, you know, get through like a meal with the party so that it can just wait until you're asleep to just bite someone. But like it is just on the edge of sanity. And that like if it just like fails a wisdom save or something like that, it just lunges for the nearest neck. And like then you can have that kind of like, you know, bestial vampire fight and just kind of have the blend of like the noble and bestial. Like there is not one way to do it. You can have any type of vampire that you want in your world, because our mythology in our world has a lot of different interpretations of vampirism. So even though there is just a handful of stat blocks in 5th edition D&D, there is no reason to limit yourself to that, because your power as a dungeon master is the fact that you can interpret things in any way that you want, change things in any way that you want, to make vampires a threat in your world. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.